Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I'm with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, who's Dean at the Graduate School of Education. And I should say that due to COVID-19, we are still recording from our individual homes, not in the studio, and our guest will also be recording from his home as well. Well, doctor, going to scale, Pope. It's good to see you. Going to scale. Yeah. Sounds sounds big. Well, you you became very popular. I mean, you've always been very popular, but but you know, I'm sure in high school you were very popular. But oh, no. a lot of people wanted to hear what you had to say this oh, during during the pandemic, and you had this challenge that you there's a body of knowledge, and how can you get it out to lots and lots of people, right? And and I'm guessing your solution was you had Zoom webinars where you couldn't see the 10,000 people in the audience and you got no feedback on how it was going. And the host afterwards said you did a fabulous job. And that was the total sum amount of feedback that you got. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting doing something where you can't see faces, right? Because as a, as a presenter and as a teacher, but, but even just as a speaker, you're used to really going off the energy and, and even looking at just eye contact and people nodding. And, and um, so what I ended up doing with these webinars is I asked someone from my staff to also be, have their face available for me to see so that I had something to work with. Cause when you're just talking to the void, it's crazy. It's, so you're it's not, really you're hard. Not, you're not going to be a green screen actor. I, you no. know, I don't know how they do it. I literally don't know how they do it yeah. without some kind of feedback uh, coming, coming back at you. What about you? Right. Uh, Same. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm telling jokes is very dangerous because when you don't hear the laughter. I know. I know. And and I tend to think I'm funny. So it gets worse and worse. You are funny, Dan. Thank you, Denise. But no, let, let me go back to the to the I think a question. So take the example of computer science. People have decided this is really important for people to know. And there's a lot of people who want to get it. And, but there's not enough people to teach it. Like, where, where are you going to get all the people to teach all these computer science courses? So this is really, this is a problem, say, in uh, under-resourced schools. They might be able to offer a computer, AP computer science, but they don't have anybody to teach it. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we solve that? Do we get Denise to give a lecture to 10,000 people? Well, it's certainly, okay, let me just say, it will not be me, clearly, because I don't know how to teach computer science, but uh, this is the whole idea behind MOOCs, right? The big, massive online, I don't know what the second O stands for, massive online something course, where people just teach tons and tons of people because they don't have access in their home countries, right. et cetera, right? Right, yeah. So they, they had some mixed success. Uh, a lot of people stop, would enroll, and then drop out. And uh, the people who ended up, if I understand correctly, the people who ended up finishing those courses are the people who were very successful independent learners. In other words, they'd gone to college already. Or, so, well, or they just were, could really learn in that one style of someone just kind of talking at them, right? Isn't that what many of them were? I don't know. Where, where do you learn how to do that? 
Well, if you're really motivated, there's I just read that in some MOOCs, there are some kids like in 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 very poor, poor countries who who really this did open up the world for them. Right. So uh, so I'm 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 we have a guest who's kind of solved this problem or has started to solve this problem. So I'd like to get him in the conversation. And this is uh, Professor Chris Peach. Uh, of the computer science department at Stanford. And he is the beloved teacher of 106A, computer science 106A. This course uh, is so beloved that I believe over 90% of Stanford students take this course. So this is a lot of students all at once. Well, okay, but Dan, they do not take it all at once. Ninety percent of Stanford does not take this class all at the same time. Let's just make. You don't think they all get stuffed into one auditorium? I can tell you, they don't. I can also admit. Okay, can I admit something to you? I took this class as an undergrad. And it certainly did not pay off. <laughs> I was going to say. Because I, I cannot <laughs> teach computer science at all. Yeah. But no, I did. I took, I took 106A. It was very hard. It was, and, it was and, a challenge. And basically the instructor was standing in the middle of the stadium. And there um, was like 10,000 <laughs> students in the. Okay. So anyway, Chris, welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So uh, how did you, you solve this problem in 106A where... There's so many students. I mean, you know, if you teach the big physics class, you got the same problem. But yeah, uh, the, this computer science course is beloved. So you solved it. So how did you solve it besides being charming? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, it's always a work in progress. So I would I would initially say that it's not solved, but we're always trying to put a lot of love into making it a more and more joyful experience. I am one of a few people who teaches this class, and. In the last 10, 15 years, we saw a huge amount of growth. You know, 20 years ago, you'd have a classroom of 100 people. And, and now, as you're saying, we can get up to 500 plus people every time we teach the class. We were terrified when we hit that scale, like going from 100 to 500. And it really happened over the course of about two years. It was really scary. Like, are we going to lose the magic? And we really thought we'd put a lot of magic. There's a lot of career teachers who spent day in, day out, really obsessing over all the details to make this course work, make projects that are exciting, all those things. But when you go from 100 students to 500 students, does that just disappear? Does it just become a faceless void? And there's one secret ingredient is really what we call it that I think played a really crucial role to making that still be a joyful experience even as we grew. And that is a very simple idea. We have people learning in pods of 10. We call them sections, and the sections are run by a person called a section leader. So when you're in this class, you're all, no matter how big we get, you're always going through it in a small group. So even if we're 500 people, that means we have 50 groups of 10. So is, so, is the way it's set up is that uh, you give the big lecture to all 500, and then yeah. that's one day a week, and then two other days a week, they're in section and pods of 10? Yeah, it's... Um, that, that captures it. Sometimes then in their pods of 10, sometimes they have one-on-one with their leader. Uh, so there is a little bit more nuance, but that's basically it. And, wow. and, and Denise, you, I remember you had a conversation uh, early on, way back for, with the chair of computer science about the cheating problem and sections were the solution. Would, well, would you yeah, say something I, about that? Yeah, so we, um, years ago, it was in the news actually, um, computer science had a really at Stanford had a really bad cheating problem and many, many students were cheating. And um, in talking to the uh, chair of the department, the question that came up was, 
why are they cheating? And I said, well, there's a lot of reasons why students cheat. They don't understand the material. They don't feel connected to the class. It's not uh, relevant to them, what they're learning. And the question that came out of this was, how do we make a big course feel small? So even back then, Chris, 100 was kind of big. It seemed big, right? And so how to make a big course feel small, this idea of really making sections uh, feel intimate, feel like the, the TA cares about you, really training the TA. So now that you've got 50 sections. Yeah. And I think we're going to hear of an even bigger course that you taught where you even have more. How do you ensure that the TAs really do that and know what they're doing? And how did you decide on 10 as the magic number two, if you don't mind me asking? So that decision was made before me. And I think it was just based around the idea that these TAs were coming out in as undergraduates. And that is very important. These are not graduate PhD students who are just trying to, you know, foot their bill as they do their research. They're undergraduates who have a very different motivation. 10 seems like what an undergrad can do. What, what's, the, uh, what's the motivation of these undergrads who want to teach their peers? This is the secret. Like the secret isn't small groups. The secret is who teaches and what they get out of it. Mm -hmm. So I would say they get, they're the ones who benefit the most. If you've just learned a subject, let's say you took the first class in coding and then you do the second class in coding. That's when we find you. We say, you've just done two classes. Have you thought about being a teacher? I love it. I love it. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Chris Peach uh, from computer science here at Stanford about how to make a big class feel small and who makes the best TA. So uh, they're just out they're, They just learned this. They're not experts necessarily. Yeah. How do you get them to do this? How do you get them to be a good TA? We put a lot of love. I mean, what makes for a great teacher? Somebody who's inspiring and motivating. They understand the language of their peers. They understand what's exciting about this field. They just did it. And they really get a lot out of teaching. They're learning to communicate. They're perfecting their own knowledge. We make it a really special experience. You get to teach. Uh, and, and that means that they are passionate. We have not 50 teachers. We have 50 passionate teachers leading groups of 10. Uh, and it, it, it makes for a joyful experience for everyone involved. You know, I've, I've tried to make this argument when, about teaching that the reason there's a lot of reasons you teach, you want to change society, for example. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's really satisfying. It's a lot of work, but it's incredibly satisfying. And uh, there's a lot of literature that shows, you know, that it's by teaching the subject that you actually learn it. You know, uh, so I, I imagine that these uh, the section leaders come out with a deeper understanding of the computer science as well. Kind of an open secret is that they're the ones who are most recruited. When if you graduate from Stanford, you can say I taught. Oh, my gosh. It seems like you're the most hireable person we could produce. Oh, interesting. Why? Because they have social skills or yeah, kind of you can communicate. You yeah. understand your material. Uh, you have some leadership. Uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, so you took this idea and went big during the e pandemic. Even bigger, even bigger. Even, even bigger. So from 500, you went to 10,000. Yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, what you called code in place. Yeah. I mean, the story is an interesting one. At the beginning of the pandemic, we can all remember uh, we were all sent home and well, some of us were sent home and me and my other colleagues who were teaching this class were thinking, what can we do to help folks at this trying time? And we thought, well, we've got this great class. We have to put it online. Let's make it free for everybody. First thought was MOOC. You know, let's just put the material out there. Anyone who wants to take Stanford's course can. 
And we thought, well, we've learned something from that experience, haven't we? People don't make it through unless they're really independent learners. Instead of just putting our material out there, could we try and bring the most special thing about our course and put it online? And that was code in place. And this most special thing was section leaders. So, so you have uh, what, what, the enrollment. Finally, you capped it at 10,000. Is that right? Yeah, I was terrified of teaching more than 10,000. So <laughs> what, <laughs> 10,007. Yeah, what was the point? Like terrified of teaching more than 500, maybe. And then, you know, oh my gosh. So 10,000 was the cap. Yeah, and really the cap was a thousand section leaders. Yeah. So, so we that, said we're going to find a thousand people who want to teach. We'll give them training. We'll talk about inspiring teaching. We'll talk about our special brand of really motivating folks, and then they'll each teach ten. Okay. So be, before we get to that, because that that's sort of the meat of the conversation, I, I want a little more context. Okay. These ten thousand people are all from Palo Alto. They're all no, parents no. trying to get their kids into Stanford. Um, you know, we've done it twice now. We've had somebody from every continent, including Antarctica, Mauritius. Wow. <laughs> nice. Know, had folks from yeah, hundred and fifty some countries. And wow. who? So and and these are people who have never had any mm. computer science training before. Yeah, we did two things on the website. We said, this is a class for people who've never had computer science training before. Some people had some experience made through, but we were said, this is a class for beginners. Wow. And, and by the time you get out of the class, you know how to code. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first milestone or the ultimate milestone was making Atari's breakout. So it was a brick baker game. You would program it from scratch in Python. So we would really not be giving you too much scaffolding. We'd give you a blank thing and say, program breakout, that would be the end. And a cool milestone, milestones along the way. What a satisfying project. Yeah, it's fun. Wait, okay, so uh, for those of us who aren't really super it's the, clear. It's the, one, it's the one where the thing bounces up and breaks a brick and then you move a paddle mm -hmm. and, okay. and the ball right. bounces back down and hits the paddle and it goes, pock, pock, pock. It's like pong. Like yeah. the original Pong, yeah. which, which, which my husband's grandfather invented. Wow. Uh -huh. oh, cool. Interesting fact. Okay. I, I, I'm going to let folks know that this is schools in with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. And we are talking with Chris Peach about how to teach 10,000 people how to code in Python. So, so you, somehow you advertise, you put it on Snickers bars that uh, uh -huh. you, you can, you too can learn to program. So you, you get these 10,000 students from all over the place. Yeah. And, you, and now you've got the challenge. How do you get a thousand people to do this section leading and for free? Yeah. So you're out of undergraduates at this point to do this. Yeah. So oh, no, you probably wait, you couldn't ask undergrads to do it. I did have, I had undergrads from every country from Indonesia to Malaysia. I had professional programmers. I had retired teachers, uh, I had somebody who is a tattoo artist who taught himself programming because he wanted to think about how to do that with artwork, it, everything, all sorts of backgrounds. Do you, Denise, it, I, I can't even believe this. Wait, did you interview all thousand? Uh, we had them produce a video and we watched all of them and there were, there was more, we, we set a high bar, um, though we were quite inclusive. But wow, that was, that's incredible. How, how incredible. many people, how many videos did you watch? Thousands, many thousands. And, uh, and how long are these videos? Like 30 seconds? Or? No, no, no. They're five, five minutes plus, so five to 10 minutes. And we, we said, here's a teaching task. And we want you to showcase your best teaching in five minutes. Like really prepare for this. 
Um, and people did fantastic works. People wanted to do this. People wanted to give back to society, time of COVID, and they also wanted the benefits of teaching. Wow. That's, I'm so impressed. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm blown away. I find it hard to find two TAs you know, <laughs> and you've got a thousand. That's, that's incredible. And so then what kind of training did you do? You did training on top of yeah. that? Yeah. They needed to learn everything from here's how you teach online. Cause remember a year ago, none of us knew how to teach online right. to here's how you motivate. And here's how you speak to students to make it an inclusive environment to, Hey, this is the particular thing you're teaching next. Let's practice. And let's make sure, you know, all the questions that could be asked. We have pretty well-constructed um, material. And can I just mention at this point, I had an awesome team. Like this is not me doing all of this. I had, you know, a, a fantastic colleagues who are, collectively putting their heart and soul into making all these details work. So who, I, I, I just, I, can we give a bonus to the poor person who watched over a thousand five minute <laughs> teaching videos? Yeah. Where's my bonus? Yeah. <laughs> it was Chris. It was Chris I was not just Pete. me, but no, I, no. I certainly was in the trenches with everybody else. Wow. That's oh, incredible. So, okay. I, I mean, I have to ask, did, did it work? Did they learn? Yeah. You know, my personality is that I believe there's always a better way. So if you ask me, did it work? I'm like, yeah, but there's a better way. Um, but here's the thing I think was most positive was it was such an incredible community. People were so happy and so kind and so caring to each other and engaged. You know, we had 10,000 students, a thousand section leaders, all helping each other. We said, there's no grade. No one's getting course credit for this. We didn't even give a certificate completion. We're just said, this is for the joy of learning. And that created an atmosphere that was so uplifting. At the end of the course, we, we did a randomized sample of people completed or didn't complete and said, would you recommend this to a friend? Scale of one to 10. And our average is 9.7. People oh really, really found this. I mean, we're giving a free class that has all this high quality instruction. So I think there is a lot to like. <laughs> it's not just high quality instruction. It's high quality instruction in these small sections. Yeah. It's, it's literally creating that intimacy that the relationships that you feel comfortable asking questions when you don't understand. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of what, that's what the MOOCs lose, right? When you don't have that ability. Yeah. And as I mentioned, there's always a better way. Yeah. You know, we're now have this wonderful experience and we've learned so much and we're like, well, what's the future? How can we build upon this social learning experience where you can ask the question when you need to and where we tap into this great idea that the number of people who want to teach is large. Hold that thought. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more with Chris about how to teach thousands of people, how to code and how to get people really excited to teach small sections next on SiriusXM. This is Schools In. I'm not an expert at this. Okay. I'm more expert than you. When you can't read in American society, you are really left out. With Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are having a fascinating conversation with Chris Peach about how to teach 10,000 people how to code and program and learn in small groups of 10 people each virtually. So before we return to the question of are there enough people to serve as section leaders around the world, um, what, what was the uh, retention rate? Like 50% finished the course? Do you know? Yeah, it was a little bit north of 50% the first time and a little bit shy of 50% the second time. I feel like it was a different experience with pandemic the second time. We can get into that if you're interested. Uh, if it, yeah, 
Make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just the first time we taught it, one of the things we benefited from was this crazy energy people had the first two weeks of COVID lockdown. Um, and then a, a year on, we were teaching a really different experience. We had three very different populations the second year we did it. Uh, the second year was slightly bigger, 1,300 sectional years, 13,000 students. But we had students who were in India where the Delta variant had just mutated and they were going through a real crisis. We had students who were getting vaccinated and they were going through some Zoom fatigue. Uh, and then we had students who were neither vaccinated nor had the sort of intense crisis. And it was very interesting to see how people were using education as a way to distract themselves from the crises, um, try and keep growing as people. I think we learned a lot about international relations and politics and, um, and education around the world. Oh, that's really interesting. If, if we, you know, eventually you're going to be doing 500,000 person courses <laughs> and, and uh, maybe you're going to run out of section leaders. And, and so I can imagine two models. Uh, one is you make a synthetic section leader, someone who's uh, actually not a person, mm. a computer. Another is you take people uh, where you provide performance support as they're tutoring. So the computer is sort of saying, hey, that kid over there, tell them they're doing a good job, right? Something like that. So, so what, what is the future of this? Or yeah. will we just have enough tutors and we don't need to worry about it? I mean, that's interesting. First of all, I think that even with 500,000 students, you would have enough tutors because I think the number of people who want to teach scales literally with the number of people who want to learn. Because basically out of every 10 people who wants to learn, at least one of them is getting to the point where they want to turn around and pass on their knowledge. And so if you have 500,000, I bet you have 50,000 teachers coming out the pipeline. That's but, great. I, I wonder if that's true for like uh, German literature. Sure. Right. One in 10. If you, I mean, this is, it just occurred to me, this is what you're actually doing, Chris. You are creating the next pipeline. Like, the, yeah. the, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant, right? Every, mm. for every 10,000, you have these thousand and then the next generation is going to be there. Yeah. Dan, yeah. we don't need the fake teachers. We have actual people who can do it. Uh, well, I, okay. So let, let me, let me adjust. I would like our real people to be better tutors. Yeah. So there, there are differences between experts and beginners. And mm -hmm. I can imagine one of the tutors comes from, uh, say, uh, Cisco or Microsoft, and they love programming. Oh, my God, mm -hmm. this is they love it. They drive their their spouse nuts talking about algorithms, <laughs> you know, and then and then they go in this section and a student says, wait, wait, I didn't understand that. And what they do is they just repeat exactly what they said before, only slower. Mm -hmm. Right. So so even if we've got enough, it doesn't mean they're all good. You know, we did a lot of quality control. And the most important one was, did the students enjoy their experience? Did they find it useful uh, for their own learning goals? And I do think one of the interesting things we did is we did have the transcript feedback to the section leaders. After you taught a section, we would turn around and say, like, here's some moments when you really did a great job. And here's some moments where we think you could improve. And we want you to reflect. That's on top of all the other training. We did these a series of projects to experiment. How do you get a novice teacher to be fantastic? I think this would be a show in its own right. I'm, I want to push the question because I, I know Denise's gut response to this. <laughs> can, can you automate these tutors? Hmm. 
there's different things that tutors do. One thing is they inspire and they motivate and they bring people together. I think more people completed because they felt responsible to their tutor. This was a lot, a lot of students would say, I don't think you can recreate that. There's something that a lot of my novice tutors didn't want to do. They did not want to grade. <laughs> they didn't want to be yes. looking over all the minutia. They want to inspire. They want to instruct. Um, but especially as a volunteer, putting in the 10 plus hours a week for grading would have meant a lot less volunteers. And that's what the AI came in for us. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Chris Peach about training a thousand volunteers to help TA sections on the computer science class. And you just said that's where, did you say VA? So, so, <laughs> what, let, no, so what, what Chris said was you don't recreate the tutor. What you do is you automate some of the things that are automatable and kind of miserable for the tutor and grading papers, or, or in this case, code is miserable. And you, you were able to automate this? Yeah, you know, um, it's a really hard task. I, I want to give everybody who hears this a sense of how difficult it is to look at student work and understand what they don't understand. That task, I guess you would call it noticing uh, in education, it's hard. And if you've never done it before, it's incredibly harder than you would imagine. And AI for a long time was awful at this task. And, a, and AI, just for those people yeah. out there, maybe who don't know what that is, can you just say what that is, Chris? AI is just fancy word for artificial intelligence, which in my world is a name we give anything, any computer program, which acts in any way intelligently. <laughs> like it could be Google Translate and we call it artificial intelligence. <laughs> so I call the thing that can help us create artificial intelligence, but that might conjure up the image of a robot. And I'm certainly not making any robots. But you are taking that. So, so the students were graded. They just weren't graded by a human. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just recall that no one's getting a grade here. It's actually feedback. You need feedback on your work. You need somebody to say, here's how you can improve. Here's how you can get better. So it wasn't like you get an A, you get a B, but rather, oh, it seems like you don't understand uh, this off by one concept. Here's something to review. That feedback task requires you understand a student and their work. And that's what we tried to automate uh, with some success. I, I'm okay with a computer doing certain kinds of assessment. I do think essay grading is a little bit, mm. and you might fight me on this, Chris. No, I think I essay, essay grading is different from did you follow, you know, from coding. I, I, it's, yeah. it's more formulaic to code. No? I, I think it's, it's on a spectrum, like poetry essay writing, uh, they are certainly harder than code, which is certainly harder than like just a single sentence answer. Um, and you hit something so interesting, right? Like how do you actually give this feedback to students? Look, our results are good. We give automatic feedback to students. 10% came from humans, 90% came from AI. And then students would, without you know, being told that it was all from AI, students would rate, is this helpful or not? And the ones that were generated by the A actually outperformed the ones generated by humans. So that you would call that a success. Um, yeah. But there's something hidden in that story, which you might miss if I just told you that one fact. And the thing you might miss is we put huge amount of human effort to turn what the AI thought into uplifting feedback for students. It was no small feat to, to make that connection. It was a 
it wasn't artificial at all. It was uh, very human. Chris, I have learned so much. We need to do a whole other show with you. So thank you so much for being here. And thank everyone for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app and anywhere you listen to podcasts. From the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online or with the Sirius XM app.